0: Amen. Thank you, choir. What an incredible morning of worship together. I am so honored to be here with you today. I have anticipated this moment for a few months now and really honored and privileged. And on behalf of about 2,682 churches in the Southern Baptist Texas Convention, I want to say thank you for your part in what God is doing all around Texas and around the world. I bet you did not know this, but this morning, because you are a part of a network of churches and because you invest in God's kingdom through this, did you know that you can be in Pflugerville, Texas today and the eastern coast of Africa and that you are in Pflugerville today and in the uh, in, in the middle of Europe and you're in Pflugerville today and in, in uh, New York and Denver and, and San Antonio and Austin because of how you invest in the kingdom of god and through our partnership together man we're able to see 3600 missionaries on the field reaching the unreached people groups all across the world we're able to see church new churches started every single week across north america able to train 24,000 of the next generation uh, pastors and leaders and missionaries so thank you for partnering with us and i want to say thank you to your interim pastor david smith who was kind enough to give me this invitation I love David. He is an incredible man, and you have certainly been blessed. And then let me say this this morning. You guys are in Go right ahead. Yep, yep. Uh, and see, here's, what you, here's when you know if something's genuine. He's not even here to hear me say it. <laughs> and so uh, here, let me say this to you this morning. Then we're going to get started. We're going to dive in. Uh, I love how God has led you to Pastor Wes. You guys, hey, let me just say, buckle up. I believe God's about to do something incredible. Let me tell you, I knew Wes back when he was a student pastor. I spoke for him uh, for a disciple now, and he is a young man that is wise beyond his years. I believe the hand of God is upon him and the anointing of God is upon him. And I just believe now, maybe I'm naive and, and I just turned 40. So maybe you say, well, you're still young and, and, uh, and inexperienced. And, and, but listen to me, I'm going to tell you, I, I would, I would bet, rather be young and naive and, 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 and just believe that God's going to do something. <laughs> uh, then I, I, I like to tell people, I, I'd much rather be, uh, um, uh, Ignorance on fire than intelligence on ice. You know what I'm saying? And so I just want to believe together with you that God is about to do something phenomenal at this church. And so buckle up. Hence that I want to speak to you this morning on the topic of the fully surrendered life. Let me tell you why I believe God put that in my heart for this morning, because I began to think through, I've pastored a couple of churches, I was the interim at churches, so I know the life cycle that you are in, and I began to think through uh, this week, what can I say to a church that would really kind of prepare them for a new pastor coming in and for God to do something incredible? And I began to think through what kind of church, if God were to put me back in the pastorate, what kind of church would I want to pastor? Now, I know that we think, well, you know, you want to pastor a traditional church, a contemporary church, a rural church, an urban church, a suburban church. That's not what I'm talking about. Those are just preferences. And by the way, we're all going to be surprised when we get to heaven. <laughs> Heaven's going to look nothing like what our preferences are. I'm just telling you, it's all going to be all about the preferences of God. But I'm talking about what kind of church would I want to pastor? And here's the answer. I would want to pastor a church where the people in the church are living a fully surrendered life to our God. It's that simple. I would want to pastor a church where the people are hungry for a movement of God that can't be pre-manufactured. It can't be put in a box. I would want to pastor a church in which every time we met, the Spirit of God was— there. Hey, let me just tell you this one. I would want to pastor a church that when you get out of the car in the parking lot, you sense the Spirit of God is in this place. And so if we are going to as a church and you as a church, if you are going to get ready for what you believe and hope and anticipate God is going to do, then you must in your life position your life to be fully surrendered to God. I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16 as you're turning there. Let me say it this way. I have four kids. I, we like to say their names are any, many, many, and it, because I promise you, there ain't going to be no mo, all right? So uh, <laughs> I've got four kids, two of them are teenagers, one's on the brink. You can pray for me. I love talking to people who are parents of kids who who uh, you survived, and you, just, you give me hope, let me tell you. Uh, my oldest son is a junior in high school, and uh, man, he is my heart, and he's going to give me a heart attack at the same time in the same time stage of life, but uh, he is a football kicker, really, really good kicker, and so, man, we get to do and travel across the country doing stuff together with him as far as that goes. Then my second son is, uh, he's got fire engine red hair, and uh, he he is in eighth grade, he is right at six foot, 165 pounds, and he wears a size 13 shoe. We like to call him opium steroids, and so if you can pray for my family, simple prayer, not spiritual, but simple, pray that he goes to the NFL so I can retire early, okay? And then I have a younger son that's cute, mischievous, he owns the room when he walks in, and then God gave us the opportunity to adopt a daughter from Uganda, Africa, and she completes our family. Well, my family and I lived in Dallas a few years ago before we moved to Colorado and now we're back But we had season tickets to Six Flags And so we would take the kids there we would wear them out So they'd go to bed early and uh, we would go to the park and every time we would go to the park My oldest son's a Daredevil. He'll ride anything with me But every time we went we, we would go to the Titan. Has anybody ever gone to Six Flags and ridden the Titan? It's supposedly like the Mecca of roller coasters And so every time we would go to Six Flags We would go directly to there to get in line and we would measure my second son to see if he's tall enough well over and over and over again he would fall just short of the requirement to ride the titan well one december night it was holiday in the park and we got to the park we went straight to the titan we met put him against the measuring stick and for the first time he was finally tall enough to ride the titan and i said carter tonight is the night of all nights man tonight is the night that you finally get to ride the Titan with your brother and your dad. And he looked at me and said, Dad, I'm not riding the Titan. <laughs> so, oh, yes, you are. And he said, Dad, I'm not riding the Titan. I was like, son, you don't understand. This is like a passageway between boyhood and manhood. He was only eight at the time, but still, we start him early, okay? And so, you don't understand. This is, th- you've got to ride the Titan. And he's very intelligent. He looked at me, you know, his fire engine, red hair, and big brown eyes. He said, Dad, under no circumstances am I riding the Titan. I did what only good dads would do. I said, son, I'll tell you what, if you ride the Titan, I'll give you five bucks. He said, where's the line, dad? Five bucks is a lot to an eight year old. And so we get in line and we get him locked in, you know, and we begin going up. Have you ever noticed, I'm gonna ask, if I ever meet a roller coaster engineer, I'm gonna ask, why is the climb so slow? Have you ever noticed that? You know what I think? I think it's the time for you to get your life right with God through prayer before you get to the top. (laughs) And so we were riding up the top and it real slow. It was a beautiful night in Arlington. We could see, everything was dark. You could see the lights of Arlington. You could see where the Rangers play and back in the background you could see where the Cowboys practice and so or, or try to play anyways. And so we, um, we, I'm a Cowboys fan, I can say that, but we, we were going up and I looked at him and said, Carter, one more thing I forgot to tell you. He said, what's that, Dad? I said, there's only one way, son, to ride a roller coaster. Who knows what that is? Hands up. He said, I'm not doing that, Dad. So we get to the top and I look over and I put my arm on his safety bar and he grabbed my arm and squeezed the blood out of my arm <laughs> as we free fell. After I gained my composure and caught my breath, I looked over and my little redhead boy had his eyes closed, his arms up. Screaming at the top of his lungs. Yeah (laughs) Hey, don't miss this this morning. I want you to know something Why did I tell you that? Because it wasn't until my son knew that his arm of his father was about him It wasn't until he knew that dad was with him that dad's presence was there that dad was there to protect him That dad was there to walk with him that dad was there in the ride with him It wasn't until he knew dad was there and I wasn't going to let anything happen And that dad was there and I was going to protect him And then and then only was he willing to let go and raise his hands and enjoy the ride that we were on Let me just say to you at the outset this morning For some of you, you are holding on to a lot of things in your life and a lot of things in this church that God's saying, hey, listen, I am about you. My presence is with you. I'm on this ride with you. And what I want you to do is not hold on and squeeze to these things. But if you're going to let me work in you and through you, then what I want you to do is I want you to trust that God the Father is with you. He is riding with you. He's going to protect you. He's going to guide you. And you... Maybe for the first time can close your eyes, hold your hands up in worship and enjoy the ride that God has you on or is about to take you on. And if we're going to see God move, church, we've got to understand that the the, the surrendered life is what positions us for a movement of the Holy Spirit of God. If you found your way to Acts chapter 16, we're going to move very quickly through these. Three simple things. This is uh, what we see that uh, God calls Paul to Macedonia. So we're going to utilize Macedonia today as a symbol of a place in your life or a place in the life of this church. And we're going to simply see three things about living a fully surrendered life together. Beginning in chapter 16, verse 1. Uh, sorry, sorry, chapter 16, verse 6. It says, and they went to the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in, a, in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. You see, friends, to live a fully surrendered life, the first thing that Macedonia in your life and in my life and in the life of this church has to symbolize is that it is a place where our dreams collide with God's desires. Have you ever been to that place in your life in which Man you really wanted to do something you really wanted you you really felt like you were gifted and geared towards this and that the moment was right but yet God began to shut doors over and over again I have that place where your heart just beats for something. You're excited whether it's to go on a mission trip and God shuts it down or it's to it's to invest in a business and God shuts it down. Or it's to, to do something in in some kind of ministry or some kind of lo- what you believe to be your life calling. And God just continues to shut the door and you find yourself saying, God, what in the world is going on? Why are you saying no? You see, this is what Paul experiences. Paul wanted to go to Asia. His heart beat for Asia, and what began to happen is he tried to go into Asia, and it said the Spirit of God wouldn't let him close the door. So what does Paul do? Paul does what you and I would do. Paul tries to backdoor himself into Asia. It Literally, literally, it says the Spirit of God wouldn't let him. So it says, so therefore, he went to Mysia and attempted to go in through but. Uh, Bithynia. Listen to what it says. But the spirit of Jesus would not allow him. That's what I love about Paul. He's just human. He's just the guy that's one heart. He was one heartbeat away from meeting the Lord too, just like you and I. He had a heart for Asia. That's where he wanted to go. So he tried to go there and God shut the door. So what does Paul do? He tries to backdoor his way into Asia and says, I'll go and try to enter this way. And the spirit of Jesus stops him. You see, Macedonia that Paul is about to hear about, Macedonia is a place where Paul's dreams to go to Asia collided with God's desires for his heart because God had a plan that Paul could not see. You see, as we think about that in our own life and as we think about the life of living a fully surrendered life and as we think about, man, preparing your heart for what God wants to do here, there are inevitably things in our life that we are drawn to do, we are drawn to go, we are drawn to want to be a part of, and God keeps saying, listen, that's good, but that's not great. That's, that's good things that you desire, but the things from me are great. Great. So Paul helps us to understand that Macedonia for him in this first part of this passage was a place where his dreams for Asia collided with God's desires. And can I just be honest with you and transparent this morning? I don't always fully understand why. Sometimes in my prayer life, in my time with the Lord, it's like, God, I don't get it. Why in the world do you keep shutting a door that I think is so great for me? God says, nothing, because... Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, and you can't see. See, here's what I love about God. He Listen, somebody needs to hear this. God is already in your tomorrow waiting on you to get there. And so he's already where you're headed, and he already knows what tomorrow holds, and he already knows the challenges that are coming your way. He already knows the obstacles that are coming your way, and he already knows the blessings that are coming your way. And so when he says no, I love to to tell people this. When God says no, it's for a greater yes later. Now watch this what happens. It's a place where... Dreams, our dreams collide with God's desires. Watch what begins to happen. So, so Paul is, 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 gotta be frustrated because he's wired with us and with our emotions and our, he's gotta be frustrated going, God, all I want to do is go reach the people of Asia. And God, it's not like it's this foreign request. I mean, I wanna take the gospel to Asia. It's a good thing. God says, Paul, oh, it's good, but it's not great. We'll see how in a minute. So Paul goes to sleep and in the middle of the night, this vision, this dream comes and there's this man and he's yelling out to Paul, come help us in Macedonia. Man, we have a desperate need. And I love what Paul says or what it says about Paul in Acts chapter 16. It says, and immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel there. God said no, because he was getting ready for a greater yes later. You see, Macedonia in your life and in my life, as we struggle through living a fully surrendered life, is a place where God's dream, and where our dreams collide with God's desires. The second thing that Macedonia is in our life is a place where our yes" must be on the table. Well, what do you mean? Well, look what he says in verse 9 and 10. Again, he says, uh, as he sees the vision, it says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God has caused us to preach the gospel there. So here was Paul wanting to go to Asia, but God was redirecting his mission, redirecting his priorities, redirecting his focus, redirecting his passion, redirecting his direction of how he would give his life and how his life would be fully surrendered. And here we see that Paul had to come to a place of surrendering his own heart to say yes to the Lord's will, though. Paul had a desire for something else, to say yes to the uncertainty of the unknown, but trusting that God was going to take him into tomorrow where God already is, or Paul was going to fight back and say, no, my way, God, or the highway, which by the way, I pastor churches, that's where a lot of us live. A lot of us think we can outsmart God, and a lot of us think that God's not not uh, keeping up with the times, you know, (laughs) a lot of us don't believe that God knows better than we do. But the truth of the matter is every time God is much, 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 much more knowledgeable and, and much, much more acquainted with our circumstance than we ever could be. And here we see Paul backing up and saying, okay, God, here's my desire, but my yes is on the table. God, I want to go here, but I hear you. And I'll willingly say yes. Let me ask you a question. What in your life, keeping you back from being fully surrendered, what in your life do you need to address and make your yes on the table? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's God calling you to ministry. Maybe it's God calling you overseas to, 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 to another country. Maybe it's Maybe it's God calling you to take a step in some kind of a business adventure he's called you. I have no idea what, how God is working in your life, but what I would say to you is, if you're like Paul and you have these desires and God's saying, listen, this seems to make sense in your finite mind, but I'm working in the supernatural, you're living in the natural, I'm working in the supernatural, and I just need you to say, yes, God, here's my life, fully surrendered, whatever it is. Let me illustrate this for you. I was on uh, the trustee board for a long time in our international mission board. Incredible organization that has 3,600 missionaries all across the world. Every time that we would commission missionaries out, we would bring them in and we would sit down in small groups with them. And we would say, hey, would you just tell us how we can pray for you? I'll never forget it. This young single lady who's giving her, her, her life to go take the gospel to the nations. I'll never forget what she said. A lot of people say, pray that our house sells. Pray that this, and that. I'll never forget what she said. As tears flow down her eyes, she said, you want to know how you can pray for me? Pray that no one in my people group dies before I can get there with the gospel. Whoa. By the way, that's what you invest in. That's the kind of missionaries we send. But you're talking about a life. Who could have had dreams of being this and aspirations of being this and desires to accumulate this? To simply say, God, I'm willing to go. And you want, how to, no one, want to know how you can pray for me? Pray that no one's heart stops beating until they can hear the gospel of Christ. There's a young lady by the name of Kieran Watson. Kieran was 38 years old, and she surrendered to go. Her yes was on the table. She surrendered to go through the International Mission Board to give her, uh, to, to, to surrender to the Lord to be a missionary. So she goes into a region of Iraq. This has been several years ago now. Kieran served the Lord faithfully, man. She, she, her yes was on the table. She laid down her dreams. She walked in God's desires at the ultimate sacrifice. Kieran was killed while she was on the mission field. I was in Virginia at the IMB building and I happened to walk by a wall and I saw it. It was a handwritten letter on yellow legal paper, notepad, that Kieran had written to her pastor before she left and gave her life for the gospel. I took a picture of that that, that note and I wanna read to you the words of somebody whose yes was on the table. She said, Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place, I was called to Him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory is my reward. His glory is my reward. At the very end of the letter, she says this In regards to any funeral service for me, keep it small and simple. Yes, simple. Just preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the saving, life-changing, forever, eternal gospel. Give glory and honor to our heavenly Father. Here is a young lady whose dreams could have been this, but God said, I want to redirect your life to this because there are people in some region of Iraq that need to hear the gospel. And so she said, yes, Lord, my yes is on the table, even to the point of costing her her life. She went in obedience. Did you hear it? My obedience uh, to obey is my objective. Why? Why would you obey something like that when you want something and God says, no, I'm calling you this. Why would you take a step back? fully surrender your life and obey why why because she says it twice in a row in her letter his glory is my reward his glory is my reward so paul wants to go to asia god says no he tries a second time god says no and god sends a guy in the night in a vision saying come to macedonia and help us we need your help so Paul immediately obeys his yes is on the table and he fully surrenders his heart and he goes forward and he lays it down and he goes to Macedonia. And we see the third thing today is simply this, that Macedonia is not only a place in our life, a fully surrendered life where our dreams collide with God's desires, it's a place where our yes must be on the table. But third, Macedonia in our life, this fully surrendered life is a life and a place in our life where the gospel is prioritized over all things, all things, your title, your position, your 401k, your Roth IRA, your accumulations, your name, all of those things, the gospel, when you're fully surrendered, the gospel is what drives you to do everything else, not, not backwards. The gospel is prioritized over Oh, do you realize you live in your neighborhood not because you have this incredible house or you like the floor plan or you like the neighborhood or you got a good deal? You live in that neighborhood because God has placed you there as a missionary to take the gospel to your neighbors. Do you work in a corporate world? Hey, listen, it's not so you can climb a ladder. It's so that you can help people look up to Jesus. Do you own a business? It's not because you're business savvy or, 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 or because you just enjoy the challenge. It's because God has given you a platform to make his name known, to make his glory known through sharing the gospel. And the gospel ought to drive everything that you and I do. How do we see this? Look, I love this. So Paul gets to Macedonia. He actually goes to Philippi, which is the church where he writes the letter, the Philippian letter to. And here we see that he goes down to Philippi and it's a leading city. It says it's the leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. It's in, it's on the continent of Europe. He says, we remained in the city some days and on the Sabbath day we went out to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One of the ladies who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatara. That's important. A seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, listen to this, and after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Listen to me, friends. I don't want you to miss this. The gospel, the the, the, the Macedonian call of fully surrendered life is a place where the gospel is prioritized over all. Paul lands into the city. He doesn't sit there and say, Paul's coming. By the way, don't you expect a mass movement of God just because you got a new pastor. (laughs) No sir, no ma'am. The pastor doesn't usher that in. It's the Holy Spirit of God working through people. You are the church. He just shepherds the church. You want to see a movement of God. It can't just be a pastor that has a fully surrendered life. It has to be a church that has a fully surrendered life and a church body that says we're fully surrendered. Our yes is on the table. We want a movement of God together. So Paul goes and he goes down to this riverside and listen, he shares the gospel. Don't miss this, it's so cool. He shares the gospel and a lady named Lydia gives her life to Christ. Lydia is the first convert that we happen to know of on the entire continent of Europe. Don't miss this. He could have been in Asia outside of the will of God, running from the command of God, but what happens? Instead, he finds himself in Europe at Philippi he goes down he shares the gospel and this lady gives her life to Christ we then see that her whole household does therefore she is the first convert we know of on the, com- on the on the continent of Europe now let's just pause here for a moment and connect God dots here do you know of the mass movements of the gospel over generations throughout Europe do you know of the revivals that took place on the continent of Europe. And the men that God raised up who either lived there or ministered there, one or the other, throughout the generations that have made incredible kingdom impact. Men like Martin Luther, men like John Calvin, Men like William Booth and George Whitfield, again, either born or ministered in Europe and saw movements of God. Men like Charles Spurgeon, who pastored the great Metropolitan Tabernacle, the Prince of Preachers, that he we still read I mean, I didn't even name my dog Spurgeon. I mean, he's still making an impact. Men like John Bunyan. That generation after generation after generation, God raised up these people who would have mass kingdom impact across Europe. Listen, don't miss this. And all of those things can be traced back to the first convert of Europe being Lydia. And that can be traced back to the place in which Paul had to surrender what he wanted and walk into the tomorrow that God was already in. There's one more name. (laughs) Roger Williams. You may or may not know who Roger Williams is. Roger Williams got on a boat from Europe, sailed to America and started the first Baptist church in America that we know of. That church started a church that 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 that continued and continued and continued on and somewhere along the lineage of Roger Williams coming over here and starting the first Baptist church, there is a first Baptist Pflugerville today. (laughs) Now don't miss this, don't miss this. You and I today, on September 12th, 2021, we are in First Baptist Pflugerville today because there was a guy named Roger Williams who got on a boat from Europe and came to a new newfound land and he started a First Baptist Church. But listen, don't miss this. It's traced even back further to the generation ripple effect of the gospel conversation down by the river. And the truth of the matter is if we wanna chase this all the way down, you and I are here at First Baptist Pflugerville today because of roger williams because of lydia getting saved and because of paul saying not my will but yours be done lord you see you and i are actually benefactors today of paul saying god i'll surrender my life i'll go to europe you'll lead somebody to christ in europe and that ripple effect throughout generations throughout generations and somewhere down the road there's going to be a guy that has a bold vision to go to a newfound country and start a baptist church and little did he have any idea that day when he said all right god i won't go to uh, to asia I'll go to Macedonia. Little did he know that you and I are in a building today preaching the word of God, listening to the word of God in a Baptist church, all because God had a plan in Europe to have a start, a mass movement that would eventually come over into America. God had that plan from day one. And Paul simply had to say, I'm going to live a fully surrendered life. Now, Here's, here's, here's a really cool thing. Guys, we serve a really cool God. Here's the cool thing. What does scripture say? Lydia was from Thyatara. Thyatara is modern day Akisar Turkey. Anybody want to take a guess on what continent Turkey is? Asia. Let's connect mind blowing God dots here. (laughs) Paul said, God, my heart is to go to Asia. God says, no, no, I want to go to Asia. Those people are my heart. I want them to hear the gospel. And God says, no, you have to go to Europe because I'm about to start a mass movement you can't even imagine. And there's going to be people thousands of years later who have benefactors of you saying no to yourself and yes to me. So Paul goes to Europe and think about how cool God is. God knew Paul's desire in his heart for the people of Asia. So what does God do? He transplants a lady from Asia, puts her in Europe to be the first convert. Essentially, God let him have his cake and eat it too. <laughs> God said, I've got a plan that you can't even imagine. But I'll tell you what, Paul, I'm going to honor your desires of your heart. And I'm going to put somebody from the people group you want to reach. And I'm going to plant them there. And that's going to be the catalyst for a mass movement of God that's going to spread into another continent. And some twenty, uh, some some 2,000 plus years later, there's going to be a group of people in Pflugerville, Texas, meeting together. And I have that plan all along. So if God's connecting dots like that, what kind of dots is God connecting for your church in the future if you're fully surrendered? Paul says, I wanna go. God says, you can't. I've got something so far greater. I'm saying no, but it's for a greater yes later. And Paul, the impact of what I'm about to send you to do, you can't even fathom, you can't draw it up. There's not a a mind in this world that can conceive what I already have planned. Is your yes on the table? is the gospel above everything. I'll close with this. Listen listen closely. If you're going to see a movement of God, then everything about you has to be fully surrendered. I'm going to tell you this story and show you how God is always at work. And then I'm going to ask you to be so bold That you get on your face before God at this church and begin asking God for a fully surrendered life in your life, a fully surrendered church, and that God would do things that would blow your minds. My wife and I, after our first child, we wanted a second child. We had two miscarriages and then we got pregnant with what was going to be our second child. We go into the ultrasound, on the time when we could go find out what the baby is. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, that's just not fair. They didn't have that when I had babies. I understand, but you also didn't ride to church on a donkey this morning, so thank God for modern advance in technology, right? We go into the doctor's office, the ultrasound lady puts it on my my wife's stomach, begins to try to find the baby. And there for a moment, she just kind of froze and she said, would you excuse me? She walks out, tears come down my wife's eyes. I grab my wife's hands. I said, I don't know what's going on, but we're gonna trust God in this. Doctor comes back in a few minutes later. He tries to find the baby and he looks at us and says the words that no parents would ever wanna hear. I'm so, so sorry. Somewhere in the last couple of days, your little baby boy's heart I stopped beating. We were 24 at the time, devastated. We went to the car, we called our parents. They'd be in a pack and rush to us. I was pastoring a little church that was out in the middle of nowhere. And, and uh, when I say nowhere, I mean when I went to visit with the search team, I saw a kid walking a goat on a leash and his dog ran loose. And I thought, Lord, where are you calling me to? <laughs> Two and a half years of great ministry out in the middle of nowhere 33 people voted on me and i'm telling you i thought i was billy graham and it was the taj mahal and you couldn't have told me any different there was a funeral home about 15 minutes away in canton texas that called me and said pastor we we heard that you're you've lost a child and we want to do the service for you and pastor uh, just so you know we we just opened up a new cemetery about 25 30 minutes away and Man, if, if you want to with your little boy, your stillborn boy that my wife is going to have to deliver, we would like to give you a burial plot if, if you'd want to do that. We were so grateful, absolutely. So the next morning, I take my wife into the hospital to deliver a boy. She bravely and courageously gave birth to a little boy that we named Connor. When it was over with my job was to walk out to the family and tell them it was done and 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 I walked out and, and I was supposed to walk straight and and yet there was a hallway to the right and I walked to the end of the hallway and I dropped on my knees in the middle of that hospital hallway and I held my hands up in the air and I said God what are you doing I just had to watch my wife Give birth to a stillborn child. And God, the pain that she is in and the pain that we are in. God, what are you doing? And I said, God, why are you doing this to us? I don't know if you've ever been there or not. Middle of that hallway, pale white walls by myself, arms lifted. God spoke into my heart. Somebody said, was it an audible voice of God? No, it was much louder. (laughs) Through the Spirit, God spoke to my heart. And here's what he said, Nathan, I'm not doing this to you. I'm doing it through you for someone else down the road. Now, can I be honest with you, my, my initial, God, you created vocabulary and that's all you've got, really? I'm in the midst of pain. I just watched my wife. That's all you got? But nonetheless, I'm going to trust you like I told my wife we would. I'm going to surrender everything knowing that you're going to keep good on your word. We go home, we start trying to heal. A few months later, I get a knock on the door. I live next door to the church. I get a knock on the door on a Sunday afternoon. It's my youth pastor. He says, Nathan, you need to come over. There's a couple that wants to meet with you. I'm gonna be honest with you. Sundays are good for nothing but football and naps, amen? <laughs> I was like, do I have to? He said, no, Nathan, you need to come. So I walked next door. I sat down with this couple and I said, what's going on? And here's what they said. They said, we just happened to move here. Well, you didn't just happen to move there unless you got lost on GPS. They said, we were just driving by we've not been to church. We were just driving by and something just told us we need to stop and talk to the person who led this place. I said, okay, well tell me what's going on. And I'll never forget it. The lady looks at me, the young lady looks at me and she says, we just had a stillborn little daughter. My mind rushes back to that hospital hallway. I go get my wife, bring her over. We begin ministering to this young couple who just lost their daughter. And right there in my office that Sunday afternoon, that man and that woman gave their life to Jesus. Now, that's a cool story if it ends there. We begin talking and just trying to minister to them and begin to realize that our little baby boy, Connor, and their little daughter were buried in the same cemetery some 25, 30 minutes away. What? That's a really cool story if it ends there. As we begin to drill down and talk through this thing, we begin to realize as best as we could tell that not only was our little baby boy and their little baby girl born, I mean, uh, buried in the same cemetery some 25 or 30 minutes later, but we, as best as we could tell, we figured out that our little baby boy and their little baby girl were buried in plots next to each other. Only a God who's in tomorrow can see that happening. You see, God knows we need to surrender. That's a pretty cool story if it ends that way. <laughs> 14, 15 years later, God moves us to Denver, Colorado. I was serving there and I'm in Denver and I get a call from a church in Florida that says, Hey, we're without a pastor. Can you come preach for us? So I get on a plane. I fly all the way down to Florida to the, to, to the kind of the Southern part of Florida. I preach and I'm sharing about how God doesn't waste your pain and that how he's sovereign even over pain. And I share the story about losing our son and what God did in that story. And two or three days later, when I get back, I, my wife says, Hey, there's a guy that's about to call you. I don't know what it's about, but you need to answer the phone. So I, I, I he, she had, he had reached out to her for fa- on Facebook and, and got my phone number. And he calls me and he says, you don't know me, but I need to talk to you. I said, what's going on, man? This was just like a year and a half, two years ago. So 15 years later, he says, I have a friend that works with me who was in the choir loft at a church in Florida that you spoke at Sunday. And he heard you tell the story how God was redeeming the pain and how God was moving in incredible ways through your pain. And he said, he called me and said, you and your wife have to watch this. What you don't know, Nathan, is just last week, my wife and I lost a child. And he said, I began to watch this, and I Googled, and I found out, man, this is crazy, Nathan, but do you live in Colorado? I said, I do. He said, where do you live? I said, in a suburb of Denver. He said, where? I said, I live in Westminster, Colorado. He said, you're not going to believe this. I live in North Glen, Colorado, five miles away. He said, is there any way we can meet for lunch? I said, absolutely. So we, we went and we met for lunch and we began talking. And here's he was telling us the story, telling us the story about losing our child. he said, and, and, and so man, tell me about your other kids. I said, well, we have four kids now. And, and he said, what school do they go to? I said, they go to this private school, faith Christian school in, in Arvada, which was about 20 miles from where I lived, about 25 minutes or so from where he lived. He goes, you're kidding me, man. I said, no, why? And he goes, my kids go there. <laughs> I'm like, really? He said, yeah. He said, what grade are you, your kids in? And I going to tell him at the time my oldest was in eighth grade, and he said, oh, did you just speak at the eighth grade graduation two or three weeks ago? I said, I did. He said, you're not gonna believe this. You can see where this is going, can't you? My daughter is in the same grade at the same school as your son. Now guys, don't miss this. Seven billion people on earth. <laughs> And God, in his redeeming nature, in a fully surrendered life says, I'm not through writing the story. God moves us to Colorado, sends me to Florida to share about his redemption power in the midst of our pain. Florida calls Colorado, Colorado calls me. We live five minutes from each other. And not only that, our kids are in the same grade at a small private school in Denver, Colorado. Are you kidding me? Seven billion people on earth and God does that. Folks, why am I saying that? Because the same way that God connected the dots with Paul's heart, fully surrendered life to God's movement in Europe, God's movement in America, God hasn't stopped connecting dots. And God took me 15 years later all the way to Colorado, through Florida, back to Colorado, to minister to a family who lived five minutes away and his daughter and my son were in the same grade at a small private Christian school. I can't make that up. But let me tell you what it is. It's the power of God in fully surrendered life. What could God do in your life if you were fully surrendered? What could God do in First Baptist Flugerville before your pastor comes if you as a church said, "We are fully surrendered." Oh God, break through our preferences, our opinions and get to our heart and give us a fully surrendered heart. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, and every eye closed this morning. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, the greatest way that you can surrender your life to Jesus, the greatest way that you can surrender your life, uh, to fully surrender your life is to give your life to Jesus. And if you're here and you've never done that in just a few moments, there'll be a pastor down here. You can just come and simply say, look, I need to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him today and he will save you right where you are and your life will be forever changed." But there's a second group I'm talking to today. All across this church, I'm gonna challenge you. What an exciting time. And the greatest tragedy in the midst of this exciting time is if somebody says, I'm not gonna fully surrender my life and you might very well be the one who doesn't help lead this church to be a fully surrendered church. So today I'm gonna ask you to be bold. Your pastor's coming two weeks or whenever. There's nowhere in the scripture says you need to wait for your pastor to experience a move of God. Can't expect that of him. He's just a human. Today, all over this place, I just feel very, very, very led to challenge you as a church to come get on your knees and begin asking God to help you have a fully surrendered life, your family, but also as a church all across this place, that you would come and say, Oh God, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. God, would you do only God-sized things? God, would you begin connecting dots? God, would you begin to pour out your spirit on our church? Help us to be fully surrendered. Help our yes to be on the table and help for us, God, your glory, your gospel to be prioritized over everything else in this church. So that's the call. If you're not a believer today, come find this pastor and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Don't leave this place with your eternity and hanging in the balance. But all over this place, God's looking for fully surrendered people. Would you just come and get on your knees and beg God, beg God that he would pour out his spirit on this church, that you would experience a movement of God like you've never before and ask God to move. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit all over this room that you would pour out your spirit in our lives and that this morning all over this room that you would prompt in people to come and and surrender their life to you, fully surrender their life to you, and fully surrender the life of this church to you. Would you meet us where we are? Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name, let's stand.